chapter 4. I suppose that uh, we could see the sermon today kind of as part two of the sermon uh, that I preached last week. And if you weren't here, that's, that's okay. In this section in which we find ourselves right now, Peter is giving to us, giving to the church, very concrete, very practical, very direct guidance in terms of how we are to live as a Christian community. And the, the introduction or the introductory phrase, the introductory idea to four arenas or four areas of application that he has for us in this section is the one that you find in verse 7. I know it's not in your bulletin, but in verse 7, and I pointed it out and spent more time on this last week, the end of all things is at hand, therefore. Okay, that's it. That's the setup for the four things, three of which we talked about last week, one of which we'll talk about this week. But the end of all things is at hand, therefore. And what we saw last week when we looked at that phrase is that while what immediately comes to mind is appropriate, the end of all things being the termination, the culmination point of all history in which our Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory and he gathers up his own and he ushers in the time of the last judgment and the time of the creation of the new heavens and new earth. While it's appropriate for us to have that in mind, and while Peter certainly has that in mind throughout this letter as a whole, it also might be perhaps even more appropriate for us to think of the end of all things being at hand as Peter's way of saying, listen, the, the culmination of all things has started. You are witnesses to, you are experiencers of the objective, the goal of all things being revealed now, being taken place in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, the idea would be this. You have seen both the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. The end of all things is at hand. You are participants in, by your union with Christ, by faith in Him and the work of the Spirit, this humiliation and exaltation of Jesus Christ. And that does two things for us. In the first place, our union with Christ in His humiliation and exaltation secures our hope. It says for us as the people of God that, listen, for Jesus Himself, it looked like things were very bad. He underwent an entire retiny, uh, uh, litany of trials in his life and difficulties and sorrows in his life that ended in the cross, ended in shame or apparent shame and humiliation. And yet he was exalted after that. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and there he rules and he reigns over all things. That is secured not only for him now, but in him it's secured for you as well. You may be experiencing right now, as the people of God, a variety of trials. But what Peter is saying is, your hope is secured. So that's one thing that it says. Your hope is secured in the humiliation and exaltation of Jesus Christ. But the additional thing, or and the additional thing that Peter is trying to say, is that not only does that give you hope for right now, it also tells you how to live. You can live like Jesus lived. In other words, you do not have to worry about being exalted right now. Okay? This is not the hour of your exaltation. 
This is the hour of our suffering along with our Savior Jesus Christ. It is the time on earth when we are bearing the load, when we are called to labor for the Lord Jesus Christ, even called, as Peter is writing about, to suffer, to endure a variety of trials. And this allows you to live like Jesus lived and live with these four things in particular that are before us. You don't have to strive right now to try and get out of these situations. Instead, do this. Do these four things that he's pointed out to us. And the, the, the four things are be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. Above all, love one another and be hospitable. Right? Those were the three things that we looked at last night that Peter is saying that's what you need to do right now. And today uh, we get to a fourth. Now, let me read for us. Now, uh, the, I'm going to read 7 through 11 just so you have the context of our passage today, but I'm preaching on 10 and 11 uh, today. Here then this portion. This is God's inspired and holy word. It is given uh, that we might have life and salvation in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is given that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Good stewards. Lord, we pray that today we would be good stewards of the word that you have given to us. And so that we, we and to that end, we pray that you'd help us even now to hear it well to understand it well, and to consider how we can put it into practice in our lives. Be with us to that end, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, earlier in our service, we read the description of the construction of the tabernacle. John read it for us from the book of Exodus. And I think that that is a beautiful and a tangible way to understand and to visualize the passage that is before us today. Everybody, as much as was possible for them, was engaged in the building up of that physical and spiritual house, right? Everybody's got something that they can do to participate in that project, and everybody's got a willing spirit to do so as well. Uh, but let me just point out from our call uh, to worship that this continues in the call to worship as well. The call to worship this morning is uh, from Psalm 122. And in Psalm 122, we're a little bit later in the history of God's people of Israel, where the Lord at this point has established the city of Jerusalem. That is the city that will house the presence of God, or, or if you want to think of it this way, it's the city that will house the house of the Lord. And there are two phrases in that psalm that to me capture the spirit and the resolve 
that are frankly both evidenced in the Exodus passage as well as our Peter passage that we'll get to in just a moment as well. The two phrases that I want to look at are first of all the first verse of the call to worship, Psalm 122.1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The gladness here is the enthusiasm that is a part of the worship of God, of being part and and parcel of building the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said that to me. It reflects the, the attitude and the spirit. And then the very last phrase of Psalm 122 says it this way, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And that, that shows that the, the gladness isn't just an emotive, it isn't just a, a feeling, but the gladness translates into action. It translates into resolve, into a willingness to do what one can do for the good of the house, for the sake of that house. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to bring all that, I want to bring that imagery, both the imagery of uh, the tabernacle being constructed and of Jerusalem with its beautiful gates in which the people go in to see the Lord. I want to bring that all to our passage here and first, in 1 Peter, remembering in the first place that at this point there's no tabernacle and there's no temple, so that those things that existed here are being built in our earlier illustrations, they're not part of uh, what the experience is of Peter or of the people who are living in northern, northern Turkey. And of course, uh, neither Peter nor his readers were, found themselves to be in Jerusalem, but instead the entire letter is cast to them as being sojourners and exiles. One can easily imagine that especially, I think especially, maybe not so much for us, but especially in the early days of the church, it would have been tempting to either imagine, if you hadn't been there before or experienced it yourself, or if you had, to pine for a time when there was this physical place that you could go to, this, this city that you could go to, and within the city there was this house where we knew that God dwelt there in a special and a particular way. And, and it would have been easy to imagine that, hey, here we are scattered on the outskirts of uh, Turkey and nobody really knows or cares much about who we are or what we're doing. And Peter speaks into that. Peter speaks into it by saying, listen, that's true. We, we don't have that physical thing anymore, but there's carryover. There's carryover between what the people of God were experiencing then and what they are experiencing now. Uh, it's been a while since we were there, uh, but 1 Peter 2, verse 5 says it this way, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, that, that's almost taking exactly the imagery, exactly the idea of what was taking place in Exodus or in Jerusalem and saying, now bring that to you. Bring that idea to you. You are this spiritual house. You are, in fact, something better. You are something better. Those things were foreshadowing the reality. The reality is Jesus Christ himself. 
And of course, if we look at the, the New Testament as a whole, Jesus understands himself to be the temple. He is the dwelling place of God. In him, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. So he is the temple itself. Remember, he said, destroy this temple in, in three days. I will raise it again. I will build it again, referring to his own body. And of course, we know, and I'm not going to turn to all the references for this now, that then by connection with him, by our union with Christ, in whom all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, that we too are referred to then as the temple of God. That's what Peter's talking about when we are living stones being built up together as a spiritual household. And, and, and this, by, by its very definition, by understanding that, it makes Jerusalem, Zion, the house of God, to be mobile, to be multi-locational, uh, to be, in fact, where Peter is at the moment of writing this, Peter is in Rome, or to be where these churches are in northern Turkey. Now, I think we can bring all of that. That's, that's just the, that's the background for understanding the passage that is before us today, the text that is before us today, verses 10 and 11. I don't want to outline uh, the passage today. If you'll, uh, I'll spare you from an outline if you'll spare me the requirement of having uh, an outline for you today. It's a fairly straightforward text, uh, and I just would like to go through each phrase in this text because I think each phrase has something to say to us, and I want to do so with a view, of course, so that we understand what we're reading today. We understand what God is bringing before us today but really so that we're challenged to live what God is reading, God is bringing before us today. So that we can consider, as you're listening to this, as you're, as you're hearing this portion of the Word of God, how do I live this exhortation? How do I put this into practice? So that's what we're going to do. And I want you to go back and forth with me as I work my way through uh, the passage this morning and these various phrases. Here's where, be, where we begin in verse 10. As each has received a gift, as each has received a gift, a, a Christian community, as a Christian community, we have, of course, received a variety, a number of gifts from the Lord. The greatest of the gifts that we have received is the gift of salvation that he's given to us in Jesus Christ. We are united to him, and in our union with him, from our union with him, flow all of the benefits, all of the benefits that we have in terms of the covenant of grace flow from that. Uh, that's the foundation of all of the gifts. Jesus himself is the great gift that God has given to us. That's, that's the foundation, that's the backdrop, but that's not what Peter is referring to here in this particular passage. What Peter is doing here, of course, is he is being more particular than that. He's being more specific than that. He's talking about gifts that we have been given by which we can serve other people within the Christian community. And typically speaking, we call those things spiritual gifts, and we borrow from other places in Scripture when we do that. Now, I'm not going to turn to these, and you don't need to turn to these right now, but if you would like to find other places that talk about the spiritual gifts or that enumerate some of the spiritual gifts, then you turn to Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians 4. 
You go to those three chapters, and within those chapters, you can find extended discussions on the spiritual gifts and uh, where Paul is listing some of those gifts. The word each here, each of us has received a gift. Each is very important. It emphasizes that the gifts that have been distributed are not the select possession of a few within the church. Instead, the gifts that are being referred to here by Peter are given to each and every member of the community. Now again, think for a moment of the imagery or the the example of what was taking place during the time in Exodus, uh, where you have the building of the tabernacle, and everybody is using what they have in particular for service, for this construction project that God has them uh, doing and engaged in. Whatever that may be, here's the reality in the Christian church. Nobody in this church, nobody in any church can say, well, nobody needs me here in this church. I don't have anything that I can contribute to the life of this church, that other people seem to have gifts and other people seem to do things, but I don't have anything that I can contribute. That's not the reality. That's not the way that God has created his church, not the way that Jesus has constituted his body. Paul basically says the same thing as this. He says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So each person, each person has received a gift, received a gift. Now, now I want to think about this for just a moment. Perhaps we can appreciate this phrase, received a gift, by imagining a substitute for it. Imagine if this passage said this, each person has developed a skill. Each person has developed a skill, and those skills should be used in the service of other people. What would be the difference between those two two statements? Each person has developed a skill, or each one has received a gift? I trust and I hope that it's clear uh, the difference between those and, and I'm, I don't have any problem with developing skills. That's not the point of what we're saying here. But one of those things, developing a skill, is something that is rooted in ourselves. Something whereby we're saying, I've done this. I've, I've put a lot of time into it. I've put a lot of work into it. And this is the skill as a result that I've developed by doing that thing. The other one, having received a gift, is something by which we are saying, listen, this has come from the Lord. It is a gift from Him. And the, the foundational imagery, if, if you want to have a, a, a picture in mind for this aspect of it, it's actually found in Ephesians chapter 4. It says there, when Christ ascended, when, when He ascended on high, when in His victory He was ascending up to the Father, after His great victory, there were two things. One, He had all of the spoils, all of the spoils of all of the earth, of all of the authorities belonged to Him at that point. He was receiving the accolades, the accolades of His people, the accolades of His Father for having completed that work. And what it says is, as he was ascending, he gave gifts to man. So as he is going up, he is distributing gifts through the power of his spirit unto his people, unto his church. Now, the importance then of trying to think about this, the the difference between a skill developed and 
a gift that is given, of course, that is going to impact how you do a particular thing, how it's employed, for whom it's done, by what strength an activity is done, and ultimately for whose glory it is done. And, and the point that I'm making here is not uh, that gifts never coincide or overlap with what we might call uh, natural abilities or talents uh, or even skills that we develop. Uh, gifts may, from the Lord, may in fact sometimes do overlap with areas in our lives where we've seen those things develop over time. And parenthetically, can I just say as well that whatever gift God has given to us, we have a responsibility to develop that gift unto His glory as well. So you've got to learn within the gifting that God has given to you. But a gift may coincide with things that are abilities that you've had for a long time, or they may not. It may be something different than what you have experienced or done well before. But the point is this. Where do you root all of it? Whether it's a, a talent, a skill that you have developed over time. You went to school, you developed this work in whatever, accounting or engineering or whatever it may have been or whether it is something that God has given to you particularly as a result of the working of His Spirit in your life, where do you root it? Where does it come from? And that's the, that's the root of this biblical idea here. And, and the answer to that question is actually given by Paul as a question itself. He turns with, to the Corinthian church and he says, what do you have that you did not receive? Is there anything that you're in possession of that you actually did not receive? Paul is, the idea here is for Paul to say, hey, look at this from the big perspective. <laughs> the intellect that you have, the body that you have, the health that you have, the air that you breathe, the water that you drink, the food that you eat. Ultimately, behind everything else by which it came to you in a particular place, behind all of that is the Lord himself. What do you have? that you did not receive. All of it comes from God. All right, so moving on then from there. That's, sorry, that was just, that's a little bit long, but that's just the first phrase that we've got here. As each one has received a gift, there's a purpose. There's a, a point to what we are to do with that gift, and what we are to do with that gift is use it to serve one another. Gifts are not given by the Lord for the sake of our hope or for our assurance, or for uh, the increase of our confidence as members of the body of Christ. They're not given so that we feel valuable, like a contributing person within the community. Gifts are not given for ourselves to make us feel better about ourselves. They are given for the sake of the people who are sitting around you right now. The gifts that you have been given are for the sake of the people who are two rows behind you or two rows in front of you or somewhere at the end of one of these aisles. Sorry, another parenthetical statement here for just a moment. Gifts that the Lord gives can be used in the broader Christian community as well. Okay, just they can be used between churches and on a, on a broad level, and that's absolutely fine. But the primary place for the use of the spiritual gifts that God has given to you is this body, this covenanted church body of which you are a member and by which you have or in which you have vowed to use your gifts 
for the service of the other members of the body of Christ. The, the Corinthian church, if we took time to look at the Corinthian church, seemed to uh, get this whole idea a little bit mixed up. They, they saw their gifts as a way to categorize or to position themselves with respect to other people. So God distributed the gifts within the Corinthian church and the Corinthian says, oh, okay, you have this gift. Well, you stand over here and you stand over here and, and you guys stand in this place over here. In other words, they took the very gifts of God and used them as a way to separate rather than as a way to serve one another, a way to distinguish themselves from the other people who were there, and then, by definition, to set up a hierarchy of those gifts by which some were more valuable than others with the possession of a particular gift. And, and the redirect that the Apostle Paul gives to them is 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's the chapter on love by which he says, listen, Listen, the purpose of these gifts is so that you actually love one another. The, the possession of a spiritual gift shouldn't be something that takes you away from other people in the church. Instead, it should be something that draws you in closer and connects you with the people in the church. Spiritual gifts are not trophies. You don't receive them and sit them on a shelf and look at them and remember and go, thank God that I received this particular gift. It's a great gift. I love this gift that is right here. Instead, we got to think of spiritual gifts as tools. Uh, spiritual gifts are a, a frying pan, a casserole dish. Uh, a, a, a spiritual gift is a, it's a paintbrush or a drill. And, and, and none of those things are particularly snazzy to look at in and of themselves, but what you can do with those things is pretty marvelous. It's pretty great, the things that can be done with those various tools, and that's the idea of the spiritual gifts as well. So here's, here's the basic question that comes out of this sermon. Are you using, employing the gift that God has given to you for the sake of the church of Jesus Christ? Are you doing it? If not, why not? What do you need? And then as the passage continues, as good stewards of God's varied grace, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. On the front of your bulletin, uh, I put a, a, a verse that I love on stewardship, uh, from Corinthians as well. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Stewards, a great word. It's a household manager. It's one entrusted with the affairs of the owner. Uh, Joseph, for example, was a steward in Potiphar's house. Now, the officers of this church, the elders and the deacons, have been given a particular re responsibility with respect to the stewardship of this spiritual house. And by spiritual house now, I'm not talking about the building, although that's a part of who we are, but I'm talking about us. The, the, uh, the elders and the deacons have a particular stewardship. But as Peter writes this letter to us, that particular responsibility of the leaders of the church, of the officers of the church, does not exhaust the idea of stewardship. 
He is going, in just a few weeks we'll get to it, right at the beginning of chapter 5, he is going to instruct the elders in particular. He's going to say, listen, in your stewardship, this is how you need to function as elders. But prior to that, and in our section here, he's not talking to the leadership of the church. He's talking to all of us. We've seen that as we go back a little bit further in, uh, into chapter 3. He's talking to all of us, and the suggestion here is that in the work of the church of Jesus Christ, there is a shared stewardship. There's not just a singular stewardship. I'm not the one who has singularly stewardship over this church. The officers of the church are not the ones who have jointly stewardship over this church. All of us have a stewardship of the church. All of us need to look at the gifts that we have and the responsibilities that we have in terms of those gifts and in terms of this church and recognize a certain responsibility that exists on behalf of the owner. The owner has said to us, listen, all of you have been given a gift by me for service in this body. Now, I expect you to be using your gift for service in this particular body. We are to be good stewards of God's varied grace. Sorry, I, I love that phrase as well, of, of God's varied grace. And, and it struck me as I was listening to John read for us the Exodus passage today, all of the variety of things that are used there in the construction of the tabernacle. It's, it's a beautiful variety that is there. It's not just one thing. It's all sorts of great thing, if you will. The varied grace of God is going to be on display in the tabernacle itself, just like the varied grace of God is on display in all of the trees that are outside uh, right now, and it's on display in us as well. In case you haven't noticed, we're not all the same. We don't all like the same exact things. We're not all good at the exact same things. Instead, we are evidence of, we are stewards of the, the variety of colors, the, uh, the variety of tastes, the variety of shapes of the grace of God. That's what we are, are stewarding. And we need all of us to appreciate all of those different things, all of the different gemstones, if we were to take it back to uh, the Exodus analogy. So I ask you this then in, in this same way, how is your stewardship? How is your stewardship of the gift that God has given to you with respect to the particular body in which the Lord has placed you? It's another way, perhaps, of asking the same question as earlier, but nevertheless, how's the stewardship going? Okay, in verse 11, as we move through this, and verse 11 we can do a little bit more quickly, rather than listing particular gifts in verse 11 as Paul does in those passages that I referenced earlier, Peter kind of categorizes the gifts here with two very broad brushstrokes. And basically, he gives two categories for the gifts. The, the categories are speaking and serving. Now, everybody in the church is cast as a servant with respect to their gifts, right? Because everybody is to use their gifts to serve. But now when we talk about two categories, or really the scope of our lives, are, are in what we say and what we do. So verse 11 then puts it this way. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, 
Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God provides. Now, we could talk a lot about these. We could take time and we could go through Paul's lists and try and categorize them under these two things. But instead of doing that, I just want to point out two things about this verse or this this first part of this verse. One is this. Peter doesn't feel the need here to be specific. Peter doesn't feel the need to work through and enumerate all of the possibilities for gifts. And I think that's actually helpful for us. I I think that's helpful to address a common and contemporary issue with respect to gifts. And that is, we spend a lot of time, or it's possible at least, to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's my spiritual gift. And you come up with a list in scripture of whatever, I don't know, I don't know how many there are if we added up everything together, but let's say there's 20. Okay, you, you look at this list of 20 and you take tests and you try and figure out what's mine in particular here. But Peter doesn't even take time to mention them. He gives categories, but he doesn't take any time, doesn't, doesn't spend any time trying to say, oh, this is how you're going to figure out whether that's your gift or that's your gift or this one over here. And by the way, I don't think that any of those lists are trying to be exhaustive in what might be a spiritual gift used in service to the church. Uh, But I think what this says to us is don't get wrapped around the axle when trying to figure out what your gifts are. Don't spend all of your time trying to go, I'm not sure if this is it or I'm not sure if that's it and I've got to figure out what it is because I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do as a steward of this gift so I got to know what it is. Start serving. Just start somewhere. Grab a hand, grab a... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to say this only because it's, 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 a, it's an example. Grab some rocks. Pick up some rocks. 3,200 pounds of concrete were taken out of here yesterday by one of our members. The lawn was mowed by somebody else. Just start serving. And as you start to serve, the, the idea of your gifting will percolate. It will, it will become evident. It will become evident to you. It will become evident to other people uh, to say, you know what, that's not your gift. Or, or this is your gift. Do this. Because you're obviously gifted by the Lord at this particular thing. So I, I, think, I think we can observe that by Peter speaking here in these broad categories. But then they are really categories that are here. And so he does give these clauses that kind of govern the categories. If you're speaking... If you're speaking, if, if you're preaching the Word of God, if you're teaching in Sunday school, whether you're teaching the adults or the children, if you're speaking a word of encouragement to a brother or sister in Christ, then make sure you speak the words of God, the oracles of God in that speaking. There's, there's a requirement that is there. And then with the, the serving, whoever serves, serve in the strength of the Lord. It's a way to say, listen, when you are engaged in work for the church, there's going to be a temptation for you to just do that work, particularly if it's a work of just serving somewhere, and do it in your own strength. So many of you today set up chairs in the back for the potluck that's coming. Many of you brought food for that. Some people, a a person mowed the lawn yesterday, another person got rocks out of here. It's possible to do those things in our own strength. What Peter is saying is, wait, 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 I know you're going to use your strength, right? You're going to actually use your strength to do these things, but at least make sure that you've prayed and acknowledged that this is all the work that you're doing for the Lord and you're dependent on the Lord for the things that you do, for all of the things 
that you do. And I think that's what's being urged here uh, with these verses is to say, listen, these things are of the Lord. Make sure you've set them before the Lord in prayer and are recognizing your dependence on him, even if it's a simple thing that you might be tempted to say, well, I don't really need to pray for mowing the lawn because I kind of mow the lawn, you know, whatever, once a week, twice a week, three times a week. Uh, you know, I don't need to pray for it, uh, but pray and set it before the Lord. All right, so as, as he brings it together, and he brings it together with this beautiful doxology, this beautiful ascription that is before us, he, he says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the way the entirety of this letter is set forth. It's staked out for us in exactly this way. At the very beginning, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the very end, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this one right in the middle of it. It's a way of saying this. Listen, if you're in prayer and you're being self-controlled, if you are called to earnestly love one another because love covers a multitude of sins, if you're called and you're exercising your hospitality without grumbling, and if you're exercising good stewardship over the gifts that God has given to you, whether that be in speaking or whether that be in serving, recognize the end. The end of all things is at hand, and the end of all things is the glory of the triune God. To recognize that all of the things that we have are things that have come to us from the Lord Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit for one another in the church unto the glory of God the Father. Or unto the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the end, the goal, the objective. Whether you are teaching Sunday school, or mowing the lawn, or picking up the rocks, or making a casserole for somebody, or speaking a word of encouragement to somebody. How do you want to say it? That's the end. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Each of us, and this is the point today, each of us is gifted and has a part to play in the living history of this particular church as a good steward in this spiritual house. As you do so, come with the cheerfulness of a glad heart and with the resolve of a willing spirit. Such things are honoring to the king. Lord, we do pray that you would help us. Uh, and if there are places where we are not exercising a good stewardship of the gifts that you have given to us, forgive us, be merciful to us, and grant us strength, grant us wisdom to see that so that we can follow after you and your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.